Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. All right, nice to have everybody with us today. We really don't have much excuse anymore for not setting our clock back, right? Because it all happens automatically, at least most of the clock, except for that one back there. So I forgot to tell Mark, since you're leading singing today after church, you have to go up there and change that clock for us. Okay, all right, okay. We've been, uh, the last several weeks, doing a series on encounters with God. And we've seen quite a variety of encounters with God from uh, individuals in the Old Testament Everything from a wrestling match, right, to uh, shining and uh, uh, frightening light and glory, uh, earthquakes, fire, blindness. We've seen so many different ways that people have encountered God. Today's encounter with God is actually quite more passive and simple and non-threatening but a genuine encounter with God that was really, really important. So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18 this morning. Acts chapter 18, as we consider uh, the life of Paul. Last week we considered Paul, and this week and next week. And after that we're going to begin a series on the uh, Paul's epistle to the church at Philippi, the Philippian epistle. Also remember with Easter and Good Friday coming up, we do have a Good Friday service every year. And that will be obviously on Friday before Easter. We want you to make sure you put that in your calendars and plan then to join us for Easter Sunday, for Resurrection Sunday as well. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray our hearts would be attentive to your word and responsive to you. As we have sung this morning and uh, shared in the music and in the scriptures, and we are reminded of your love for us, your care for us, and the privilege it is to come uh, and share with your family today. Bless our children as they continue to learn and to worship and to sing together. We thank you for them, and we pray that this will be a great day for them as well as they prepare uh, for the week ahead as well. We pray this in Christ our Savior's name, and all God's people can say, Amen. Amen. Nice to have uh, Barb Butler with us today. Barb is here, and Dan is on his way right now. uh, missionaries, uh, career missionary, and working now in administration of missions with uh, Wycliffe Missionaries, and we've been involved with them since how many years, Barb? Forty-two? Just forty. Okay, I didn't think you were that old. All right, just forty. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Barb. So good to have you with us, and uh, we pray God's blessing on your continued work, the great work of translating and putting the Bible in the languages for people around this world. We are so privileged today that we can come and open the Bible freely without hindrance, and I trust you've come prepared to do that. Chapter 18 and verse 1. After this, and that is after Paul's uh, time in Athens and on Mars Hill where he preached to the philosophers and the Areopagus up there, and they... After he got done, some kind of jeered and laughed. Others said, well, we'll hear some more about it later. Some came to know Christ as Savior. And it says, after this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. So I thought I'd just take a minute this morning. I've uh, I've been to Corinth twice on uh, two of our trips to Israel, the, the two, two previous trips to the last one. And uh, Corinth, maybe you can just darken these lights up here just for me for just a second. Thank you. So when Paul on the second missionary journey, of course, was over here and he saw the 
the, the man asking him to come and, and minister to us. And when he made that jump, or if you will, that crossing, he crossed into Europe for the first time, and he ministered in Philippi. He came to Thessaloniki, where he was there. And then he went down and went inland a little bit to Berea, which is also in chapter 17, which we take our namesake from, the Berean church, uh, because the people there went to the Word of God to see if what Paul was saying was true. From Berea, then Paul traveled down to Athens, the heart and soul of uh, Greek culture. And even though Rome was a world power at this time, Greek learning and culture was still very, very important. And uh, from Athens then, he left and he went to Corinth over here. Now, the thing about Corinth is, Corinth was a very cosmopolitan, very urban center. If you think of, think of our context in Seattle, because we're a port city, we're a very um, diverse city. The ethnicities, the, the culture, the, the travel coming and going, we're a very diverse city. And Corinth was a lot like that. It was a hodgepodge, a melting pot of religions and commerce and ethnicity and races. And it was a very important, and it was also because, you know, I remember the, the ships that were traveling uh, were, were under uh, uh, sail, wind. And um, they and so traveling from this, these major areas here, heading over toward Rome, uh, you could cut off a lot of time by going right through here. That was really helpful. Rather than having to sail down here into the open sea more across here, you could come across here, hug the coast, and then go across. And so because of that, the Corinthian Canal was a very important feature of drawing people to this port. And it really was the metropolitan hub. Athens is past its prime. Corinth is really the metropolitan hub and government hub, really, of the Roman world uh, in Greece. The Corinthian Canal... Um, even today, if you, if you go there today, you'll see this Corinthian Canal, sort of like you know, the Panama Canal, but not as big. And in, in, in Paul's day, in Paul's day, it really wasn't cut all the way through. But you could bring a ship uh, coming from the east, unload it, take the stuff across to the ship on the other side, on the west side, and you still cut off a lot of time of sailing around the peninsula. So it was a very important place, and uh, very important. It's a wonderful place to visit. Uh, when you go there today, when you go there today, you see the ruins of this city. Now, this doesn't look like a very large city, does it? But you got to remember, these cities were like the hub where everybody in the agricultural community and the outlying areas would come for civic affairs, for government affairs, oftentimes for religious affairs. So even though it looks rather compact and not really large, um, this was this was Corinth. This was the hub here. And you'll notice, one of the things about this, like every city in this part of the world, you'll notice temple, temple of Octavia, right? Temple of Apollo, Apollo, temple, temple, uh, temple. There are six temples. There are six temples at least. Statue of Augustus. These are, this, this, this was a huge part of these cities where these, where the people would come to worship at these various temples in religious centers. This is why when Paul went to Athens, it says he was distressed from, from all the religion. He said, I, I, he, he went to the people in Marcel, he said, I see you are very religious. And he wasn't being cynical or, or uh, critical. He was using this as an opening to share the gospel. He said, I see you are very, things, you are very religious people. I want to talk to you about the unknown God. I saw you had an altar to the un, unknown God. 
I want to talk to you about him. They were very religious. You didn't have to convince anybody in this world that there was a God. These, there are no atheists. I mean, for, in all practical purposes. Everybody, it was a matter of which God did you worship and which God did you believe in. And, and also that you included worship of the Roman emperor. Also another feature of this, uh, of this place also was the temple to Aphrodite up on the hill. Uh, the Acropolis, the top of the hill. And when we were in Athens, in Corinth, and we were down below in, in these areas, the ruins of that very city you saw there, you look up to the top of the hill and the ruins of the, the temple up there, where they, where they, there were a thousand priestesses, priestesses, basically prostitute priestesses, who served in that temple. Every night there would be a, uh, a line of men going up to the temple to worship. This is the culture. This is the place that Paul went to when he came to Corinth. And he came by himself. It, he was in Athens and he left and he came there all by himself to Corinth. And you'll notice it says in verse 2, there he met a fellow Jew. He met a fellow Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker or a worker with cloths, as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. So the Apostle Paul came and he found Aquila and Priscilla, who turned up later on in his epistles as very important people, Priscilla and Aquila, in the work of the Christian church. These are fellow Jews who had come recently, as it tells us. And it's interesting, there's an interesting note here. You notice it says, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And this was an expulsion of Jews, as of course throughout history has taken place, where the Jews were forced to leave. You know, you've seen Fiddler on the Roof and so forth. They were forced to leave the Pale Settlement in Russia. And we, this is the story of their history. And they, there was a thriving Jewish community in Rome. And they had to leave. They were all had to leave. Their property and their homes were confiscated. Uh, just like in the Inquisition, the Spanish Inquisition in the 14, late 1400s when they were forced out of Spain um, and Portugal. The, and, and they were forced. But it was interesting. We have this quote from the life of Claudius. We have this quote. And it, and it, and it says, he says this. As the Jews were making constant disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he that is the emperor banished them, Claudius, from Rome. Now it's interesting that, that he says that it was at the instigation of Crestus. No one really knows who Crestus is, but many historians and Bible theologians believe this is sort of a corrupted form of the name Christos, Christ. And if that's true, the suggestion is that this Christian influence and community within the Jewish community at Rome has become a source of, of disturbance, a source of division, a source of issues that the emperor said, everyone leave and kicked them all out. And it might be because of Christ, because of Christos, Christus, it's very possible that they had to leave. So it says on verse 4 that Paul did what he did every place he went. Verse 4, Every Sabbath, every Sabbath, every Saturday, he reasoned in the synagogue, 
trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. One more note, this is kind of interesting. When you, when you go there today, you will see this lintel. You can't read it, probably, but you'll notice the inscriptions across here. It basically says the, the, the house of prayer of the Hebrews. And this was a lintel that was over the doorpost that was evidence of this synagogue that was in Corinth. And Paul goes to the synagogue. And he goes there like he did in, in Berea, where he got, he, they would go and they would roll out the, the scrolls and he would get, and he would reason. I mean, Paul was a, we talked last week, right? Paul was a, a, a student of Gamaliel. He was a top scholar. He had been prepared for this ministry, even though, as Paul says, uh, I am the chief of all sinners, we talked about last week. But at the same time, God had uniquely prepared him as a Hellenistic, a Greek-speaking Jew, trained under the feet of the, of the number one rabbi in Israel, even today, a top rabbi considered to be Gamaliel. He was uniquely prepared to go to these synagogues and, and to be welcomed. He would be welcomed in initially until there was a disturbance and he was run out of town or something. But he would be welcomed. He was a, he was a top scholar. And he came and he reasoned with them. He opened up the scrolls. They didn't have the New Testament. The Gospels are not available. The Gospels are not circulating yet. They, they have the oral traditions of Jesus and, and, and so forth. But he would go to the Old Testament. He would reason from the Old Testament that Jesus Christ was indeed the Messiah. And he would do this. And he went there with Aquila and Priscilla. The implication is, without telling us, that Aquila and Priscilla were believers in Jesus Christ, that they were Christians. And they probably were introduced in Rome uh, to the Christian faith as they were there and had to be dispersed uh, from Rome. In verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, they finally catch up with Paul. They were left there to help strengthen the church in Thessalonica. They have now caught up with Paul. And when Silas and Timothy come from Macedonia, then Paul was able to devote himself exclusively. See, Paul was, was working as a tent maker. He was, he was uh, practicing his trade to earn his keep. And I have another, another wonderful quote I, I had that from the, the games, the Isthmus games, like the, the Olympic type games that took place. And this person who was a, um, a contemporary of, of Luke, writes this description of the charlatans and the jugglers and the poets and the philosophers and the lawyers and all this mix of people in Corinth during the time of the games, uh, sort of like Mardi Gras, you know, I mean, it was just this crazy scene of all these people reading their things and this mix of people that took place. And there was, and that's why Paul later in Corinthians talks about that he was not a charlatan. He did not come to try to take advantage. He was not in this for the money. He came by himself. He started working all day long, working with heavy fabric. They would meet at night with uh, Aquila and Priscilla and with others. He would go to the synagogue. But when, when Timothy and Silas came, they were able to help him. He was able to be free now to devote himself entirely to preaching and to testifying. Notice this, to testifying to the Jews. That word testifying is the Greek word, but it's a, it's a, it comes from the, the Hebraism of the Old Testament of, of speaking strongly of exhorting, like we see the prophets in the Old Testament say, listen, this is, this is important. This is the, this is decision time. Listen to this. This is not a light matter. He's testifying to them. And look what he's saying. That Jesus 
was the Christ. We, we see the same pattern when the Lord Jesus Christ was on earth for 40 days with disciples. What did he do? He went to the Old Testament. He went to the Old Testament and he showed them that the, that the Christ must suffer and die. This was the missing, this was the missing link in their theology. This, this was not understood. Yes, they were expecting the Messiah, but that a Messiah would come and die, be killed, was something that was missing. So you would go to Isaiah 53, where, where, you, where it talks about the suffering servant of God who was smitten for our sins, who was wounded, who was stricken for us. You could go to Deuteronomy 18, where Moses says, I, God will send another prophet, listen to him. You go to Psalm 22, where you have this almost description of a man on the cross of Calvary, the, 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 the things he was going through and the physical things he described. He would go to these Old Testament scriptures to prove to them and convince them that this really was what Jesus came to do. He came to die on the cross to pay for sins and to offer salvation. He's risen from the dead, and now he's asking them to accept this. But when the Jews opposed him, and again, it's not all the Jews, as we'll see, but when the leadership, when the leadership opposed him, and became abusive. Notice what he does here. This is fairly dramatic. He shook out his clothes in protest. So this was an Old Testament symbol, like the prophets would do. They shake out your clothes. He shook off his clothes, and he said this, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. This is the second of three times Paul says this in the book of Acts. We see this gradual changeover in the book of Acts. Paul goes to the Jew first. He says the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Jew first and to the Gentile. Paul's heart and his, and his, and his, and his passion was to see his own people come to salvation, to come to faith in Christ. And, and he, but he says this three times in Acts 13 and then at the end of the book of Acts, Acts 28, the third time he says this, I've, I've done, I've preached to you, I've offered you, I am now going to the Gentiles. And yet Paul always included the Jews in this Gentile ministry, if you will. He was the apostle we saw last week who was commissioned and sent to the Gentile world, but it included Jews and and the new body of Christ, the church, the body of Christ, the new people of God was made up of all ethnicities, all races. He said, Jesus Christ is neither, neither slave nor free, male or female, Jew or Gentile. And his heart was always for his own people. But three times he says, I'm, I'm going to the Gentiles. And this is the second of those. And it's very dramatic. And he says, listen, we, we have to keep doing this. We have to keep moving. We have to keep preaching. We are not going to stop. And then notice next the next verse. Then Paul left the synagogue, the Jewish house of prayer and study. He left the synagogue and he went next door. Now, in the Greek, that's implied. Most of your translations will say that. It's not specifically, but the way it's said, it implies they left the synagogue and they went to the building next door. What happened to be the house of Titius Justus. It had to be a fairly middle class to wealthy man to have a house big enough for people to go in to worship. They went next door. Justus was a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. So, I mean, think of this scene here. 
Some of you have been through a church split. <laughs> They're not pleasant situations. They happen for various reasons. And think of the think of this situation. I mean, let's take the house that Pastor Gary lives in before he and Rachel lived there. Let's just, let's just say for a minute that somebody was living there and they were coming to our church and were, and were quite involved and, and, and were part of your church family. And, and, and someone comes to preach in our church and becomes, and comes here and starts to, to, to teach us things and say, you know what? I know what you're doing, but this is a new way. This is a new way of worshiping God. This is the, you're not, this is something that you have to grasp onto and join with. And finally it gets to the point where they leave and 30% of the congregation goes with them. And then Kyle goes, chairman of the elder board. Okay. I mean, the president of the synagogue, the chief ruler, this is not necessarily the rabbi. This would be like the chairman of the board. This is like the, the synagogue leader. He even goes, and his whole family goes. And we come to church on Sunday. And we come, and as we come here, we see 30% of our friends and family right next door going over there to worship. And then we start to see more people go. And pretty soon, you can, I mean, can you imagine the... The, the emotions and the hard feeling and the tensions and the, the difficulty and the challenges that, that's going on here. I mean, it's right next door to the house of prayer. And, and it's a fluid situation. Maybe some of them are here on Sabbath and going over there on the first day of the week later on. It's, it's a very dynamic and challenging and, 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 and heartfelt but, but tough situation. And notice what it says here. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul. Here's our encounter with God. It's not very dramatic. There's no wrestling match. There's no fire. There's no earthquake. There's no light from heaven. It's just God coming to Paul in a vision. But it's an encounter with God. And God, the Lord, the Lord. So I, I think we're, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is God? And he spoke to Paul in a vision. He said, Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. That's our encounter with God. <laughs> our encounter with God. Um, Let's, let's come back to that. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be... Why would God say that to Paul? Why would he out of the clear blue come to Paul at night and say, Paul, don't be afraid. Keep on teaching. Keep on going to the scriptures. Keep on doing what you're doing. Don't be silent. For I am with you. No one's going to hurt you, Paul. I have many people in this city. That's our encounter with God. Why would God say that? I mean, wouldn't it stand to reason that the reason he came to Paul and said this is because Paul was, was he afraid? Paul is a human being. He is not God. Like all the other apostles and all the other leaders in this early Christian movement that is going, they're just like you and I. They're just human beings. And was, was, was Paul at the point of just complete discouragement? Is this whole scene, this whole mess with, 
with the new house over here of prayer and the synagogue here and the tensions and the synagogue ruler coming and all the the threats and everything else and the meanness that might have gone along with it and every all this stuff was it just the point of Paul saying I'm, that's it God um, I'm going back I'm going back to I'm going back to Asia Minor I saw this vision of this man saying come over here and share this gospel with us and I came I went to Philippi. I've been to I've been to Thessalonica. I was run out of Thessalonica. I was beat and jailed in Philippi, and, and whipped. Remember, he was put in stocks, and they were singing to God that night. He had to go out of the way to Bria. Bria was not a place you just went to on the highway. It was not on I five. You had to go out of your way to get there. It was out of the way because he was going out of the way. He was in Athens all by himself, where he was pretty much laughed out of Mars Hill. And, and ridiculed, and, and people call, who is this seed picker? This man who's picking up, what's this ridiculous thing about the resurrection he's talking about? What in the world is that? And now he's down in Corinth, and he's caused this huge commotion in the community of Corinth, and, and, they, and they're aware of what happened in Rome, with Crestus maybe, with the commotion there that the, that the Roman emperor finally just kicked them all out. And he's in the middle of this. And I wonder if he's he's just done. <laughs> Maybe he's just, he's afraid. Well, listen, I mean, look what he says in 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 2. In 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians, see if I got this right, not 1 Corinthians. In Corinthians, when he comes to the people, and he he says, um, I think it's 1 Corinthians. Let's, Let's try 1 Corinthians. If not, then Alex, somebody help me get this passage here. First Corinthians chapter 2, here it is. First Corinthians chapter 2. He says in verse 3, this is his first letter back to the Corinthian church. After he leaves there, and he's in Ephesus, we think, and he writes back to them. He says, I came to you, this is Paul speaking now. I came to you in weakness and fear with much trembling. That's how I showed up. Corinthians, do you remember when I came to you? Do you remember how I came? I was weak. I was fearful. I was trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. He was not the person you tune in on television. He was, he says, I wasn't even persuasive. I was weak with my words. I'm not eloquent. I'm not a powerful speaker. He says, that's how I came to you. But I did come with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Listen, Corinthians, I came to you in weakness and in fear and in trembling, and it only got worse. It only got worse to where God comes to him and says, Paul, listen, don't be afraid. Quit being afraid. Quit being afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. Come on, get back out there. Start talking again. Start witnessing. Start testifying. Don't be afraid. Why? I am with you, Paul. These are, this, is a, this is a very Old Testament Hebrew comfort from God. Remember Joshua? He said to Joshua, Joshua, be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be strong and courageous. For I am with you. And he repeats that many times to Joshua. Don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. 
for I am with you. Be strong. Paul, I'm with you. Don't give up. No one is going to attack you and no one is going to harm you. No way. This, this is, Lord, I was beaten in Philippi. I was whipped. Later on, Paul's going to tell some epistles, right? How much he is, how many times he was whipped and beaten and stoned and left for dead. But God says, I, no one's going to kill you, Paul. And here in Corinth, I've got you in my care. And also, Paul, by the way, I have many people in this city. Who are those many people? Who are those many people? Is this like Elijah? I think, Gary, you preached on this, right? When Elijah and, and the battle with, with Mount Carmel, and afterward when Jezebel says, I'm going to get you, and, and Elijah leaves and says, God, just take my life. I'm the only one left. And what does God say? Oh, no, no. Elijah, there are 7,000 people who have not bowed to Baal. You are not the only one. Maybe you felt that way sometimes. I'm the only one. I'm the only one in my family. I'm the only one in my shop. I'm the only one in my business. I'm the only one in my neighborhood. God says, Paul, you're not the only one. I've got many people in this city. And by that either means many people who are going to come to Christ or personally, the way he says it here, I think there are many believers in Jesus Christ in Corinth that Paul hasn't met yet. I mean, Aquila and Priscilla came from Rome. The word has gone out from Jerusalem. Many people came to Jerusalem for Pentecost and left and took the message back with them. And I think the Lord is saying, Paul, there are, there are Christians in the city. There are people of God. This is another Old Testament thought. The people of God, my people. Paul, you are part of my people. I've got many people here. Don't be so discouraged. This is a little bit of a reprimand maybe too, as well as encouragement. Don't be so discouraged, Paul. I got many people. You're not the only one. You're not the only one going through this. Be strong. And it's kind of interesting. Last week we talked about when, when, when Paul was converted, cum laude, get up and go. This time it's get up and stay here. Because <laughs> look what he says. So, after that encounter with God and that word of encouragement, when I think Paul was at a breaking point, at a crisis point, God comes to him and encourages him and reminds him. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching the Word of God. Eighteen months. You know, Paul has not stayed anywhere this long. He stays in Corinth 18 months. He stays in Ephesus three years. Otherwise, he is moving and setting up and, and leaving people to help found the church. He's an evangelist and he goes on. But for a year and a half, this house over here becomes the center of this work in Corinth where Paul continues to teach and preach and win people to Christ. And this church is, is settled and it grows. And yes, we have the Corinthian epistles and, and, and we read 1 Corinthians and oftentimes when we read 1 Corinthians, the focus is on the troubles in the church. Well, yes, this is, this is, I mean, look at the troubles we have in the church today, right? 
We're 2,000 years later plus. Yes, there were troubles, there were issues, there were conflicts, there were divisions, there were challenges. But there was a church, and it grew. And Paul writes two of his longest epistles to this church, First and Second Corinthians. And, then we, and you know well some of the people who were there and their stories and the things that go on and, 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 the, and the truths and the doctrines that he leads these people. This, this is a, a great work of Christ that almost didn't happen if Paul would have left. But he stayed for a year and a half with this encounter with God. Well, look, there's an interesting sequel to this story here. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia. Now, some of you that know a little bit about, maybe you've read a little bit of Roman and Greek history. Seneca, the philosopher, this is his brother. So his brother was very well known. His brother was Seneca. Gallio was the proconsul. That is, he was the Roman governor. He was a Roman top official of Achaia. The Jews made a united attack. Those who were against Paul. And remember, there are many Jews with Paul in the synagogue that went with them. They were converted. But those who were still trying to get him, they made an attack on Paul, and they brought him into court. Now, this other picture I had up here is kind of interesting. When you go to Corinth today, one of the places that you see there is what's called the Bema seat, the seat right down here. And I put up there Second Corinthians chapter 5, because some of you are familiar with the passage that says we must all appear before the Bema seat of Christ to give account for what's done in our lives, whether the good or the bad. Um, this was the this was the seat of judgment. This is where the Roman governor sat. This was where he sat, and he heard official cases. And this this place has been identified today. And they hauled Paul there in front of Bema seat, in front of the, in front of Gallio, the Roman governor. And they made accusations about him. They made complaints about him about what he was doing. And that's what they said. He was he was it was a mis. They were making complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime. Gallio says, "Listen to them." Oh, I'm sorry, go back up there, verse 13. This man they charge is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. He's doing illegal activity. He is promoting Jesus Christ. And this is another king, another emperor. This is illegal. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said, Galio said to the Jews, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. <laughs> he was, he is a, we know from history, he was a good man. He was a good judge. He was a fair judge. And this was a reasonable decision. He says, this is an internal religious dispute. You guys take care of it. And because he did that, he gave Paul license to stay in Corinth and do his work. But there's sort of an odd thing at the very end that says here, then they all turned on Susthenes, the synagogue ruler, who replaced Crispus probably, and they beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern. Not such a good man there. This is a little bit of a mystery because from the Greek language, we don't really know who beat him. Was it, it doesn't say who it was. Was it this group of Jews who brought Paul to court and were making the challenges? They turned their wrath upon Susthenes? Or was it the people, the Gentiles of the city, who were tired of this whole discussion and they turned around and beat Susthenes? We don't really know. Whatever it was, poor Susthenes becomes the victim 
And what's really interesting is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul writes his letter back to the church at Corinth from Ephesus, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother, Sus or Sosthenes. So whatever happened, he becomes a traveling companion of Paul in the ministry to the Gentile world. Well, conclusion, let me say this. Why are we talking about this this morning? Encounters with God. I thought there were, there were, there were three, three things from this. Uh, you know, Paul came in weakness. Paul came in discouragement. He came in failing words. But God comes to him. Do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid. Why? Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. For I am with you. And that is the truth between God and his people throughout history, and it's just as true today. God is with us. We sang about that this morning, the 121st Psalm. I look into the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and hope. Behold, earth, he who, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He holds you in his right hand. And friends, when there's times of discouragement, times of challenge, times where you wonder, is it really worth it? At times when you feel like you're the only one. Times when it's just, and I'm talking all ages here. I'm not just talking adults. We have young people here today with us. I was a young person once. Really, I really was. I sat right over there in church, right there with my mom. You got very real issues in your life, very real challenges. We got young adults here. We got seniors. We got middle. We got everything. All sorts of walks of life. And we all know there are times where we just need to be reminded God is with us. You know, I, I hear people tell me, you know, God spoke to me and, and, and it wasn't an audible voice. You don't have, you know, you don't have to apologize. You know, we, we believe God can do whatever God wants. Don't ever let it be said we don't believe in miracles because we're not a charismatic church. That's not true at all. I, I've been out, I was, in the last 11 days, I think I've made 11 calls, some with the same people, visiting with people. We've got some people in some very, very challenging times physically right now. And I always pray for God's healing. I always pray for God's presence. Don't ever apologize for that. Yes, God... God speaks to us. God reminds us. God, God encourages us. God uses all sorts of means to do that. And I just want you to know that if you, if you are ever in the place where you need it, God will remind you. I hear this over, I heard it this week three times, over and over again. Yeah, I can't explain it but I really feel God's presence with me. Yes, I really feel, I really appreciate the prayers of the people because it, God is opening their heart to the fact that he, he is at work, He is with them, no matter what is going on. Don't ever forget that, friends. No matter what age you are here, 
God is with us. No one is going to destroy you. Now, Paul eventually is martyred for his faith. But they don't destroy him. Nobody is going to kill us from God. Whatever God has and whatever God allows in our lives, it's in His hands. But ultimately, we will always be in His right hand as we sang this morning. God is with us. God will take care of you. And the third thing, don't forget this. Don't forget this. And I think it's important. You are not the only one. You are not the only one. Whatever we are going through, many others have and are going through. That's easy for me to say because I'm not going through it right now. But when it happens, just remember, you are not alone. And when you are going through something, just remember, God may very well use your experience to encourage somebody else. I got many people, Paul. Come on. Get back out there. You're not alone. I've got people you don't even know about in this city, and they're going to be part of this work too. I am with you. I will take care of you. And you are not alone. Friends, these are words of encouragement from an encounter with God that we need to remember. And we need to be vessels and utensils for God to bring encouragement to each other. That's why we're here today. One of the reasons why we're here today is to encourage one another and remind one another. Even if we get to a point like the Apostle Paul, I believe, maybe in this passage got to where it was just done, that God says, no, no, Paul, come on, get up. Stay here. Keep on speaking. Keep on preaching. Keep on talking. It's okay. I'm with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. No one's going to hurt you. And you are not the only one. That's our encounter with God for you to take home with you for this week. Let's close our service. This song is pretty special. Um, It is no secret what God can do, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. With arms wide open, He'll pardon you. Isn't Jim great? Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Do you believe in prayer? Amen. Do you believe God answers prayer? Listen, I want you to pray this week. This has been one of those last 10, 11 days where we've had just so many uh, people in need of our prayers. I want you to pray, continue to pray for Donna, and we're thankful that you know she's been through this past year. Uh, that God was was faithful and the surgery went well. I want you to pray for Bob Jokey. Bob's such an important part of our church family, our mission ministry, and for many of us, encouragement. It's been a very rough week, but it was so encouraging to see him be doing better when I saw him yesterday. But I really want you to pray for Bob, and I really want you to pray for Derek been a discouraging time. Young man, 29 years old, 
And this has been a rough week for Derek. And I want you to pray for Derek. Uh, he, he really appreciates it. I want you to do that. So as our benediction today, I've read this scripture multiple times this week along with Philippians chapter 4. Let's bow our heads and this will be our closing prayer. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Amen.